Um, okay, so today uh, in our podcast, our guest is Zarir Irani, and uh, Zarir has a very interesting story. And I think we'd start, Zarir, I heard that you weren't born in America. Where were you born? And tell us a little bit about that. So I was born in Bombay, India. I still call it Bombay because that's what it was when I was there. Uh, it's now Mumbai. Oh, yeah. uh, so I was born there, lived there for about a year, and then ended up in South India with my parents. They actually ran a hotel. So for the next three years of my life, uh, I was in a, in a, in a resort town in, in South India called Kodakanal mm. that was very idyllic. It was like a, a lake and in the mountains of, uh, of southern India. And so uh, my parents ran the hotel and we kind of ran around causing all sorts of trouble and uh, learning to explore on our own. Um, beautiful existence. And then uh, when I was three, we moved to Madras, which is now Chennai. And my dad uh, ran a factory for, uh, that made fire extinguishers. And uh, so I get to go with him to those uh, things as well. But uh, ended up fourth, fifth, and sixth grade. I was in a boarding school, a military boarding school in South India. Um, and so I was you know, sent away from home to go study, and I slept there. And um, so that was a really interesting turning point, I think, in my life a little bit, because uh, it really taught me a lot of independence, right? So I'm like, what was I, maybe eight or nine years old? and. Uh, away from home and, and, and living with a bunch of other boys and oh. you know a lot of discipline yeah. and uh, physical training and military training and things like that when when I was young uh, but I learned a lot I learned a lot about independence I learned a lot about self-reliance things like that uh, and that part of my journey and then uh, when I was in halfway through sixth grade our turn to immigrate to the US came up and so my parents pulled me out of school and went back to Bombay uh, and I was tutored for a little bit there uh, because my, my sisters were in school. They had really good girl schools in these cities, but the boys' schools, English medium schools, were usually far away and usually boarding schools. Uh, and so really sixth grade was a really odd year while we were waiting to immigrate to the States. I'd never been on an airplane before or anything, but our turn finally came up and we moved to Pierce, South Dakota, uh, where, is where my aunt was, and she's the one that sponsored us to come to the States, and so we had nowhere else to go, so we, we went and lived with her when we first came to the U.S., um, and so I had, you know, part of my school in the in the boarding school, part tutored, and then I had, like, I think we came in April, uh, and so I had a few months of uh, sixth grade in Pierce, South Dakota, in the public school system, uh, and I didn't do very well uh, from a grade perspective. Um, I didn't fail sixth grade. Uh, but I had all D's, and I think I had a B in science, and so my mom decided to hold me back and redo sixth grade, and up until that point, I actually thought that I was a dumb kid, because I, I didn't have good grades in yeah. India either. I, I didn't want to go to boarding school, so I was like, yeah. you know, not interested in studying at all. Um, but I had a teacher, Mrs. Bassett, that worked with me the second time around in sixth grade, and worked closely with me, and actually cared for me, mm -hmm. and, uh, and that was probably the first time I realized the impact an individual can have on the trajectory of someone's life mm -hmm. by just putting a little mm -hmm. extra yeah. care in. Uh, and so Mrs. Bassett worked with me, all of a sudden I realized I was smart, she put, you know, got me into the accelerated math program, uh, all of a sudden mm -hmm. I was like an A student, and mm -hmm. so then I was the rest of my career. So up until that point, I thought I was a dumb kid, uh, and my mom was actually studying for her master's, and so she had, was doing IQ testing mm -hmm. and things. 
and she did an IQ test on me, and I, I you know, scored very highly on that. So all of a sudden, my confidence mm -hmm. was lifted yeah. and really changed the trajectory from an education perspective about who I was. Um, and so that's kind of that, that's the early formative years of kind of what I experienced as I as I went through this process. Mm -hmm. uh, from peer. Uh, we were we came in 1980, which was the height of a recession in the U.S. And I remember my dad telling me that mortgage rates on homes was 13 percent, mm -hmm. and so you're basically buying your house on a credit card, right, in today's mm -hmm. terms. Um, but that's just what it was, and it was as Reagan was kind of coming in and and um, you know reestablishing the economics for the for the country because we just kind of kind of come through the 70s and all all of that economic. Mm -hmm downturn and things like that. And so my, my mom and dad actually flipped burgers when they first got here. Uh, and then I got a job. Uh, I moved here when I was 11. I got a job when I was 12 at an ice cream store. And I've been working ever since, because you had to, yeah. right? And uh, so I, I love the Midwest. I love the strong work ethic and of the people around. They were very caring. Uh, Pier was kind of an interesting town because we were the only Indian family from India uh, in the town. Um, so we were confused with Native Americans a lot, um, and uh, you know, so it, it was it was just I, I felt a lot of racism there um, mm -hmm. to some degree, um, and uh, we after three years in Pierre, we moved to Aberdeen, uh, South Dakota, and that's where there were a few other Indian families. So I, I felt like I integrated much more rapidly in that environment. Um, really enjoyed my high school years there. Graduated from there. Uh, you know, worked at a bunch of different places while I was there. Um, I think my first job in Aberdeen was uh, in a restaurant. I started as a dishwasher, um, you know, cleaning other people's garbage off their plates, washing dishes, uh, and then got promoted to fry cook. So I got mm -hmm. to actually make fries and make all the fried food, and then got promoted to the prep cook, where I'd kind of manage the whole kitchen. And it was a buffet restaurant, and so you had to kind of be sure to have food ready to go out as it was coming you know off the line so as people ate it you had to re restock it so it was a lot of planning and uh, ensuring that you had enough food prepared but not too much so you wouldn't have waste um, so learned a lot there uh, then worked at a car wash uh, in Aberdeen as well um, you know so that was kind of the the high school uh, days and uh, then I ended up deciding to go to SDSU in Brookings for my first year and uh, I was going to go into pre-med because, uh, you know, I was taught that all Indians should be doctors or engineers or something like that. So I was like, all right, I'm going to go be a doctor. Well, I got into uh, SDSU and I kind of partied a little too much. And, uh, you know, I wasn't a faith as yet. I mean, I was born as a Rastrian and so I was kind of, I was taught the philosophy was always good thoughts, good words, good deeds, and doing good to others with no expectation in return. So that was kind of my foundation of what life I walked, walked in. Uh, but when I was at SDSU, then I kind of got into the wrong scene a little bit, and I wasn't really focused on my studies. So I actually took a year off, uh, moved out to Indianapolis, and worked construction in, mm. in Indianapolis. Uh, my brother-in-law, um, they weren't married at the time, but his parents were opening Super 8 motels in Indiana, in Indianapolis. And so uh, my sister and my future brother-in-law were headed out there to help manage those hotels. Uh, and I uh, tagged along kind of thing, and I lived with my sister and uh, worked construction and then did asphalt seal coating. Mm. Worst job mm. in the <laughs> world. Um, I mean, it was hot summertime. Yeah 
working with this black tar, yeah. chemicals. I had chemical burns under my eyes. Uh, <laughs> that was and, uh, yeah, and my jeans would like stand on their own because they were just covered in tar. Yeah. And uh, you know, I, I woke up one morning. I usually would, I had to get up at around five and kind of be on the work site by six. Um, but one morning, I just I, I couldn't do it, and uh, I, uh, I I said I'm not doing this anymore. And it, I think the biggest trigger for me was I wasn't using my brain. Um, it was just manual labor. You were told what to do. There was just like zero thinking involved in the asphalt seal coating thing, and I was just like totally burnt out from it. Um, also made me realize I didn't want to work minimum wage the rest of my life. Not that there's anything wrong with that. It was just not for me. Uh, and so um, I quit the job. Uh, I said, I'm, I'm not doing it anymore. And I was actually unemployed for a little bit, um, but I had to pay rent to my sister and whatnot. And um, my dad came to town and uh, we were, um, uh, we went to a Galleons. I don't know if you guys remember Galleons, but mm -hmm. Galleons used to be here in the Twin Cities and then got purchased by Dick's. Okay. So the big store that was right here in Sporting Goods. Sporting, Sporting Goods. Okay. So it was, a, it was a, uh, uh, I think they had three sites at the time. And uh, so I, I sold downhill skis. So I got a job there mm. um, selling downhill skis and doing custom boot fitting and things like that during the winter season. And then, um, you know, season was over. And I was like, now what do I do with my life? I was at a complete crossroads. I was like, well, do I move over to the camping department and keep doing this? And I'm going to be a retail sales mm. guy. Uh, and so I called my mom, who's always been just a phenomenal advisor to me over the years. She was an educator, and so she's like, well, maybe you're ready to go back to school, and uh, you know, let's make sure you don't go back to SDSU, but maybe you could look at USD yeah. and Vermilion, or there's even this little school in Mankato. And I was like, okay, and so she's like, why don't you come home? And so I packed up all my gear and drove back to Aberdeen, and then uh, my dad and I, uh, we went to go look at Mankato and then we were going to go to Vermillion and I got to Mankato. It was a beautiful campus because it was summer. Yeah. Mm. And it was on top of the hill. The sun was yeah. shining. It was gorgeous. Uh, we should have got in the winter. But, um, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but yeah. uh, ended up saying, I don't need to go to Vermillion. I'm going to go to school here. This, is, this feels right. Mm -hmm. And uh, so we paid the, I think it was a $10 you know, admission fee or whatever back then and headed back home. Mm -hmm. And then in the fall, I came back uh, with my mom I'm like doing all the talking here. Uh, came back uh, with my mom to register for classes, and I had no clue what I was supposed to do. Mm -hmm. um, but I kind of thought, well, I could be a marketer, you know, coming out of that retail space. I like the marketing side of things. I'm like, I'm going to do marketing, mom. And she's like, well, I think you should do computer science. And I'm like, I don't know, the first thing about yeah. computers, she's like, it's going to be big. And, you know, back then it was just mainframes. PC hadn't even been invented yet mm. when I was in school mm -hmm. in 89. Yeah. Uh, and so I was like, okay. So I signed up for computer science and marketing and, uh, you know, started that, that pro progression. And then as I was going along, it was like a few more classes to get a finance major. So I said, I'll do that as well. So once I got to Mankato, I pretty much stayed there in the summers as well and did summer school okay. and uh, graduated in, I think, the, in December of 92. So really in four years, I got a triple major uh -huh. with, some, with summer school. Uh, and then, um, you know, it came time to get a job, right? And I kind of matured over mm -hmm. the years and, <coughs> excuse me, thought I was ready to work. Uh, and I wanted a marketing job mm -hmm. uh, or a finance job. I wanted to be in business okay. and could not, for the life of me, find a marketing or finance job because 92 was another yeah. recession. Mm -hmm. 
And, uh, but there were these companies coming to campus recruiting programmers. And I had this comp computer science degree, but I really didn't know much about computers. And uh, I could program in COBOL yeah. and Pascal and things like that. So anyway, uh, a nice gentleman uh, from Carlson Marketing Group, I had a couple offers. Mm -hmm. I had one from Principal Financial uh, and then one from Carlson Marketing Group. And so I, I, I said I wanted to live in the Twin Cities. I didn't want to live in Des Moines. I don't know why. Uh, and my sister lived in Eden Prairie, so I, I just moved. I actually accepted the job with principal and then moved to Eden Prairie to live with my sister, mm -hmm. uh, assuming uh, yeah. that something would happen. Yeah. And God came through and uh, got an offer from Carlson. Oh, cool. And so I had to call you know, principal and say, hey, I'm sorry, not I'm not coming, coming <laughs> but I'm going to, to this other company. And so I started with them. I learned more in the first four weeks about technology than I'd ever learned in four years of college. And, uh, you know, ended up starting as a programmer on the mainframe. Uh, then I got into these 4GL languages um, like Power Builder and FoxPro. And um, I was learning different, the, the market was moving so quickly that every six months I was like in a different tool. And I um, ended up really understanding the core of these tools so I could jump from one to the other. Mm -hmm. And so then, you know, they promoted me to, I think, a systems analyst kind of role. And uh, so I spent three years at Carlson and then, uh, you know, I was getting calls like within the first year. Do you, there was so much demand for tech, technology workers. It's like, come be a consultant. And I didn't feel equipped to advise anybody on anything. Mm -hmm. So I always said no, but then all of a sudden, you know, three years in, they, uh, a recruiter had called and said, hey, you should really consider being a consultant, and we've got this nice little company, uh, mainly mainframers, and we're looking to start the PC practice. Mm -hmm. And I was like, oh, that sounds interesting. And so I joined them. Uh, they ended up placing me on a two-month contract out at 3M. Uh, and uh, so I was like, oh, that's cool. Well, I ended up staying out at 3M for like seven and a half years wow. on this two-month contract. So As a contractor? Yeah, so as a um, consultant out there. So I started this project, got it wrapped up, uh, and then another person had heard about me and wanted, wanted some Power Builder app, and then I got into all, all this business intelligence and data warehousing and uh, actually designed 3M supply chain data warehouse at the time for them as part of their enterprise data warehouse. Uh, and then I was doing some consulting for a few other companies and then a buddy called me and he said, hey, Zuer, there's this company uh, in Plymouth that you know, needs some help. They actually have an IT team, but they're just looking for some external advice and things like that. I'm like, yeah, no problem. Went and visited with them. What company was that? It was called Motive Action. Okay. Uh, it was an incentive marketing company. So they did travel oh, incentives yeah. and then also product. So okay. uh, really like a loyalty kind of environment, yeah. uh, incentive marketing. And uh, so I, I visited with them. I gave them the advice you know, that I thought they needed at the time. And, uh, and then I forgot about it. Well, they ended up firing their IT leader. And I was like, oh, maybe I yeah. gave him bad advice. Yeah. <laughs> uh, and he's, he was an awesome guy, great guy. <laughs> yeah. He's actually uh, you know, in my network and works down in Chan now. But um, so they ended up trying to do it internally for a while. And then about a year later, they called again and said, hey, this isn't working for us. We need an IT leader. Now, I had never led people. I was always kind of on the delivery individual contributor side. And uh, so I interviewed with them. Um, they thought I was a good fit, so I joined them. Uh, and I was immediately in, on an executive team, so I'd never been through the ranks, right? I'd mm -hmm. never been a supervisor or mm -hmm. team lead or yeah. a manager or a director or anything. It's like all of a sudden, here you are sitting at the executive mm -hmm. table. Uh, and, 
you know, it's, it's kind of interesting to me because when I was at uh, 3M, when I think about this caring and ch changing the trajectory of your life, um, Tony Perez at 3M uh, was my manager. I mean, he was a 3M'er and I was a consultant yeah. there, but he, he almost like pulled me in like a son. I mean, he was just like a mentor to me. Mm. And here I was, not an employee, mm. and he just taught me a bunch of stuff. He advocated for me to go to different training and things like that. Um, so I, you know, I learned all about project management. I learned all this business intelligence yeah, under cool. his guidance, uh, and and even life lessons. I mm -hmm. mean, it was just so cool. And mm -hmm. yet again, I think about if you care about somebody and you just spend a little bit of energy, you can change the trajectory of their life, yeah. right? And so he knew I was a leader, and he was grooming me mm -hmm. uh, without me even knowing cool. it, right? And I think that happens to us so often in life where. Uh, people come alongside us. We don't realize it at the time, but in hindsight and in retrospect, you can see the impact that they've had in your life. Yeah. Uh, and so he was, you know, just someone I still stay in touch with. We're gonna have lunch uh, next week and I'm excited for that. But um, so anyway, so I, I end up in this executive role and doing all the things that I think a leader should do. Um, and it was kind of interesting because that was about the time I came to faith. So I think I came to faith in 2006. Um, and that's kind of was an interesting journey as well. So I'd always heard about Christianity. I'm kind of just jumping through the no, whole but story I, that here. Was, that that was, we were going to ask that question because yeah. we yeah, know faith perfect. is an important part of your life. Yeah, yeah. And I just wonder how that happened. Yeah, so um, I had this intellectual barrier to Christ. Um, so, I mean, obviously, raised Zoroastrian, taught to respect all religions mm -hmm. and all people mm -hmm. is how we were brought up. And, uh, and, but when I was, so this is kind of going back to Madras, uh, when I was living in Madras uh, at our family house, there was a university near the house, and there were some Nigerian students at that university, and I'd ride my bike through the dirt roads and the dirt landscape, because it was a very dry uh, area Madras was, and, uh, I ended up making friends with these Nigerians. So it's probably like seven or eight at the time. Uh, and they were obviously, you know, probably in their 18, 19, 20 year old mm -hmm. range. Yeah. And one of them, um, you know, started telling me about Jesus. Oh. Uh, so way back then, I, I felt like God was knocking on my heart. And, you know, so I, obviously being young, I was eager, I learned as much as I could, I gave my life to Christ way back then. As a seven, eight year old. Yeah, yeah. Okay. And, uh, but um, you know, so then I come home and I'm like telling everybody about yeah. Jesus yeah. and you know, they're all like, whatever. Yeah. <laughs> and, and so there was, yeah. there was no nurturing, wow. right? And so yeah. I didn't have, I didn't have a Bible. Um, I mean, this, this guy didn't know how to mentor a seven or eight yeah. year old. He just exposed me um, to it. And uh, you know, and so then I went on with my life. I mean, I. So it was just like, okay, I'm aware. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And then um, I went to, I, then when I got to the States, when I lived in Pier, there was a pastor that moved in across the street from my aunt. Um, and he was someone that had been like a drug addict and things like that, had straightened his life out, had come to oh. Pier to kind of start a church, and it was a home church. And so every Sunday we would go to his house. Oh. And uh, just me, I mean, not my whole family. Oh, and it was me and my cousin. And we'd kind of hang out with him. And the primary reason we did is because he would take us camping and hunting. And we'd get to go prayer uh -huh. hunting with him and stuff like that. He had a husky. And so he ended up being kind of a mentor yeah. from that perspective. And so I gave my life. And, and I'm in, you know, in, in America. 
I'm fairly lonely. I really don't have a lot of friends uh, in Pierre when I first got there. Um, and so, you know, I was just like, I was lost a little bit. And so I gave my life to Christ again okay. uh, at 12. Mm -hmm. And, uh, you know, did that for a while. And then uh, eventually we moved to Aberdeen. And so then I'd lost that base and, you know, got into, you know, drinking and all this yeah. other stuff uh, along the journey. And, uh, you know, as I... Um, got to college then and I met my wife, Mary. Um, she was a Catholic, very de you know, devout and had been raised you know, in the faith, in the Catholic faith uh, for many years. Um, and so I'd go to church with her, uh, but I didn't like it. Um, you know, the message yeah. wasn't resonating. It was just a bunch of motions, mm -hmm. right? Stand up, sit yeah. down, say a bunch of rote things. It wasn't a personal relationship with God by any yeah. means. And so I never really converted. So I, I'd just kind of revert back to my Zoroastrian faith anytime mm -hmm. it wasn't working for me. Uh, and so that's always been there. So I've always had this belief in God, mm -hmm. right? And in one God. And uh, so that's always been kind of core to me. But then as, um, as, as I got into adulthood and uh, my brother-in-law uh, uh, ended up asking me to join search ministries. And, Wait, uh, and what do they mean to join search ministries? And who's your brother-in-law? Kyle Heitkamp. So, oh, oh, I remember the name, Heitkamp, Heitkamp, yeah. okay. So Kyle, um, you know, had kind of rejuvenated. He had been raised Catholic as well, but mm. had kind of gotten into search ministries with, with Jeff. What year was that, do you remember? Uh, well, it was probably around 2014, 2015. Okay, so I was there. already on by then. Oh, yeah, mm -hmm. you weren't there. Um, BJ was my leader. Oh, yeah. Jeff okay. Seaman initially, mm -hmm. and, then, and then I got sent from Jeff's group to BJ's group with this uh -huh. great mm -hmm. group of guys. Um, so, you know, it was just really getting exposed again to God's word and things like that. But I wasn't of faith as yet. And I had, like I said, this intellectual barrier. So I had all these questions. It was uh, questions like, well, if, if God is the, um, you know, it, I, I believe Christ was no more the son of God than I was. Right? I believed he was a man. I didn't believe he was God. Uh -huh. um, and I understood that he you know, died for our sins. That's what they said and yeah. things like that. But it didn't all connect, right? And I was just like, um, I couldn't make sense of yeah. it, right? And uh, it was interesting. The, the turning point, or one of the turning points, was the um, search ministries had put on the Passion of Christ in the Eden Prairie Theater. Uh, remember from Mel Gibson's yeah, yeah, Passion yeah. of Christ? And as we're walking in, um, I was there with my brother-in-law, Kyle, uh, my sister-in-law, Eileen, Mary, and I, and they had boxes of tissues and things like that. And I was thinking, oh, you know, I love these old movies, right? Like the Ten Commandments. And, <laughs> yeah, yeah. I'm like, yeah, I get to go yeah. watch one of these. And I love the cinemagraphy, you know, cine cinemography. Mm -hmm. um, and so I was going in there, you know, just, it's going to be a movie, yeah. right? Did it's, you grab any of Kleenex? I didn't grab any Kleenex, <laughs> and everybody else did, and whatever. And so I, I'm in there, and I'm I'm sitting. We're waiting for the movie to start, and one of the things I I turned to my sister-in-law Eileen, and I said, Eileen, what I don't understand is, if Jesus is God, why is it when he is dying says, my God, why have you forsaken me? Why wouldn't he say I forsaken myself? Mm -hmm. You know, and it's mm -hmm. like these are the kinds of things that yeah. were just going through my head. It didn't make sense. And, uh, and then the movie starts, and somewhere along the path, and I think it, it was while Jesus was being so badly abused, um, and there was a scene where he looks at his mom, mm -hmm. and I just lost it. 
I mean, I was blubbering in tears. Uh, I couldn't barely see. There were so many tears. I had my hanky out. I was wiping, you know, I was just like, just lost in the moment of the suffering of this man. And something in my brain said, if he existed, and if I believe he existed, and I did believe he existed, because I acknowledged that he was alive. Mm -hmm. And I said, if that's the case, and this is what he went through, then maybe the rest of it's true. Mm. It was just like this weird thing that happened. Mm. And then the movie's over, and I'm kind of pulling myself together, and Jeff Seaman walks out on stage, and the first thing he says, a lot of people wonder why God said, why have you forsaken me? He Uh. didn't know I asked this question. (laughs) And like right there on stage, and he's like, and the reason was God had to detach himself. Jesus had to detach himself. And it was the most painful part of his existence was being detached from God so he could fully experience death. Right? Because mm. the, yeah. you know, the, the burden of sin is death. Right? Mm-hmm. And if, if you're forgiven, then you don't have to experience death. And death is, in essence, separation from God. That's mm-hmm. all it is. Yeah. Right? And, uh, and so that was just kind of... I was like, whoa, what just happened here? And then I was at a Louis Palau um, conference downtown with my brother-in-law, Kyle. And that was when I truly gave my life to Christ. It was like he was asking and I was like listening. And it's like, I'm ready. And this is what this, is what this means. And, I, you know, and then so I gave my life to Christ at this conference at luncheon. And I was like, now what? Yeah, <laughs> you know? right. And it wasn't any miraculous Holy Spirit coming upon me or... You know, you hear some of these yep. stories from people that they have this really amazing experience when they give themselves to Christ. Um, so mine was, I think, more, I, I went through the motion of it. And then I just dove deep into the Word. I mean, that was one of those, you know, when you're a new Christian and you just heard the good yeah. news, you're so on fire to learn and you're so on fire to share. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Right? And all of a sudden, I felt the burden of, oh, my God, i got to be witnessing to everybody. And not until a little later did I realize, I just need to witness when the time is right. I don't need to be the guy on the street corner. That's not me. Um, Because I felt anxiety from it, like Mm -hmm. I had to be sharing all the time. Uh, And it was more, you know, as I've gone through life, I've realized, look, you're just a witness. Mm -hmm. You're called to be a witness. And a witness just says what they've seen. You don't have mm-hmm. to care about what others have seen or what else is going on. It's like, here's the impact God had on my life, mm-hmm. and here's how I behave now yeah. based on that impact that, that, uh, that has transformed me as mm-hmm. a person. And so, you know, as I've gone through, what, what is it, 13 years now uh, of just studying and getting deeper and deeper connected, um, <laughs> I often tell people, when you come to faith, it's, it's no rosy walk. Right, mm-hmm. it's not like oh, I believe in Christ. Life's going to be awesome. Yeah, yeah. Uh, what it is is I have now given my life to God to transform me into someone that I can ha- that that He'd be willing to have a relationship with. And so I've probably had more heartache and more um, difficult situations since I've come to yeah. faith than I ever did before. Mm-hmm. And I was just talking to my wife about this last night. I was like. Life was a lot easier when I didn't believe, but I'm such a better person now that I believe, mm-hmm. right? I don't walk around looking over my shoulder, yeah. right? I, I'm, I know that I'm, I'm trying to be as righteous as I can be at all times, 
where before I wasn't. I wasn't that kind of man. I had really poor integrity, poor character. I did a lot mm -hmm. of stupid things. And you could say, well, that's just youth. Well, yeah, but it's still, that's what I did. Yeah. And I wasn't proud of it, right? Mm -hmm. I wasn't proud of the things I was doing. And it was interesting as I went on this journey with Christ, on so many occasions, my past sins would come into focus. And, and I truly repented. And it, it's like I had to go through every single sin, you know, mm -hmm. um, that I'd yeah. ever committed in life would come into focus. And I, you know, I'd, I'd repent on those. Mm -hmm. Um, and you know, and then you, it was just—it's just been a really yeah. strange journey. And then what I realized most recently is the, to actually have joy in the hardship. Yeah, it's a gift. Yeah. So every one of these things where we feel like, oh my gosh, the world is coming to an end, and uh, woe is me, and poor me, and you know, mm -hmm. why me, and all this other stuff—it's actually thank you. What a, what do I get to learn from this, and how do I? Um, you know, walk humbly and love mercy. Yeah. Uh, you know, it, it's like, it, it, it's this cathartic thing that's occurring all the time, every day. And I'm finally, certainly not at the end of my journey and still have a lot yeah. to learn and understand, but I'm at a point where I very quickly recognize anxiety and fear and I get to turn it, uh, turn it over quicker, mm -hmm. right? Where in the past I probably spent months on these things mm -hmm. and one of the lessons that I think I learned is that your mind you know the human mind is is very evidence seeking of things you believe so whatever your beliefs are your mind is constantly seeking to validate your belief mm -hmm. and and that belief is coming from your experience right the experiences you've mm -hmm. had and so having a belief that God's looking out for me he has plans to prosper me um, that he's in control, that he's shaping me, he's making me into a new creation, which I asked him to, mm -hmm. so I can't complain about yeah. it, right? Um, has allowed me to very rapidly, when I feel anxiety, to say, okay, God, where are you? And this is yours, and I'm going to keep living in the present. Mm -hmm. And it's a super hard thing to do because our very nature is to be uh, future and past-oriented as opposed to present-oriented mm -hmm. as human beings, mm -hmm. right? We're constantly regretting the past, which we can do nothing about, and we're constantly forecasting a future that's usually negative that hasn't occurred yet, right? And so maybe, you know, the, the little bit of wisdom that I think I have right now is I need to live now because who knows what tomorrow is going to bring. Yeah. You really don't. I mean, I can be either alive or dead yeah. or win the lottery or right. lose my job or who knows, right? Mm -hmm. And so why worry about those things when I have zero control over them and they haven't occurred? So why am I creating stories yeah in the future yeah. that have, haven't happened. Good point. Now, wouldn't you yeah, say, good point. I think so we're going back to your point too, that, that Christianity is about God now taking, once you make that commitment, he is shaping you now into his image. Yes, transforming you. And you know, I, was, I remember hearing yeah. about uh, Michelangelo, mm. and mm. he saw this piece of granite, and he said, I have to free David from this granite. And in some ways, you know, that's pretty much what Christianity is. Yeah. He's shaping yeah. us into yeah. the image of his son. And, and it's more about what are we letting go of than what are we accumulating. Mm. Right? That, that's interesting. Yeah. And so all these things that are occurring to us in our life, it's about letting go mm -hmm. and yeah. trusting. Because these are the shackles sure. and burdens. Right, the the false idols, mm -hmm. uh, the thought patterns that we have, those mm -hmm. are our burdens. And so when God mm -hmm. says, "Come to me, my my yoke is light," yeah, um, 
he's basically saying you can let go of all this stuff and you can live a life filled mm -hmm. with peace and joy. Um, and you know what? It's, it's easy to sit here and say, yep, I can pontificate all I want on the fact that I've got peace and joy. But there are absolutely moments where I'm like still running into anxiety and fear yeah. and all the things that you know, we as humans do because we're constantly being barraged by the world, right? And, and the, the world is flesh. Yeah. And so there's all this desire and all this envy and there's fear and there's all these things that are constantly giving you signals. And so maintaining your relationship with God at all times all day long, and I, I pray all day long, and it's like I'll, yeah. I'll be walking to the bathroom and thanking God, yeah. and uh, you know, he's just, he's ever present yeah. in, in my day-to-day -day dialogue. Um, it's not like I need to go take time to pray. Mm -hmm. I am like constantly in prayer, um, asking him for guidance. Now, are there moments where I forget uh, and say stupid mm -hmm. things because I haven't checked with the Holy Spirit before I speak? Absolutely, but I wanna do more and more of that. Mm -hmm. And uh, my desire and my goal is to become love. Mm. which is what God is. Mm. Yeah, and so everything I do, I want to continue to become mm -hmm. love. And, you know, and love is patient and love is yeah. kind and love is forgiving and love is, um, you know, all, all the things that they talk about in Ephesians. And so to me, um, that, that's kind of where I'm, I'm at in yeah. my journey. Absolutely. And I don't know what God has planned for me by any means, mm -hmm. but I know I want to serve him. Mm -hmm. And I want to serve him wherever I'm at, and I want to bloom wherever I'm planted. Because um, for much of my life and much of my career, it was like, what's next? What's next? When's the next vacation? Yeah. When's the next promotion? When's the, when's the, when's the? And um, I, I really take solace in the fact that, hey, I can bloom where I'm planted. I can be kind. I can Because that's where God wants me. Mm -hmm. He's got me here for a reason. Mm -hmm. And yeah. whatever it is I'm supposed to do, if I pay attention, I'll be able to do that. And yeah. if I can lift people up, if I can give them hope, yeah. if I can uh, behave in a way that they're like, I want what he mm -hmm. has, and they come to faith, I mean, that's kind of how, that's how I mission yeah. uh, in, in the professional world yeah. um, mm -hmm. as best I can. And yeah, there's tough decisions to be made and tough conversations to be had, and, but at the end of the day, it's all God's will. And the journey that I'm on is about who I'm becoming not what I'm accumulating. That's good. So that's kind of where I'm at on that, that front. It's a pretty cool word for wisdom. That's right. You know, it's, it's about yeah. becoming. Yeah. As opposed yeah. to accumulating. Yeah, yeah. Mm -hmm. What is what is the goal of your life? Right. Yeah. yeah. That's good. That's really good. Yeah. What else can I share with you? Well, would you have any other words of wisdom for yeah. our audience? Well, uh, yeah, so I, I, I think I kind of shared some yeah. of my wisdom along the way, but I think the, the most important thing for me is if you, if you take the time to mm -hmm. learn about somebody, yeah. understand where they are in their walk, mm -hmm. realizing that they're just as much on a journey as you yeah. are, and, uh, and, and if you can encourage them and if you can support them and lift them out of the quagmire of life, right, um, you will change the trajectory of their life. And so care, caring about others can really change the trajectory. Uh, so that would probably be the first piece of advice or wisdom is always be on the lookout for God in action, right? Yeah. There's miracles yeah. around us all the time. Uh, everywhere we look, right? I mean, the, the heavens declare uh, the yeah. glory of God. And so if you're aware and you are awake, mm -hmm. you will see just the amazing things yeah. he does. And... Uh, he'll put you in spots where you can actually yeah. have an impact 
that you can't even believe that that's what happened in retrospect. You never know it while you're in it. You never know why you're doing what you're doing or why you're prompted, but be awake and be open to it, mm -hmm. and all of a sudden you're living a life of adventure. Yeah. Right? And you, the best things that you can do and leave behind, because you're not taking anything with you, is the touches that you've done on people's lives. Right? So if we can figure out how to create yeah. a better world by being kind and good and uh, giving to others with no expectation in return. It's an amazing way of living that gives you that joy yeah. so that when you leave, at least you've left a legacy, yeah. right? But it does take action. You can't sit on the couch and yeah, wait for God to take, you know? Mm -hmm. So we still have free will. We still mm -hmm. have choice. We still have to do. Mm -hmm. uh, and so that's the other thing, I think, as you kind of go into this journey yeah. with Christ to, to figure out. Um, and then, like I said, I think, Staying optimistic and mm -hmm. believing that God has good planned, and if you're going to create stories yeah. of the future, think positive stories. Yeah. Uh, and so you'll seek evidence of that positivity yeah. as opposed to creating a story of fear and bad things happening, because mm -hmm. you will go seek evidence of yeah. that just as easily. You know, I can hear yeah. out of your voice, uh, Zarir, a, a spirit of joy. Yeah. And, you know, it's interesting that I've heard an acrostic of joy of Jesus, mm -hmm. others, and then yourself. And so that's some real wisdom. Thank you for sharing yeah, that. Thank yeah, thank you. Mm -hmm. um, I, I think when you are able to help others, um, it actually gives me joy. Yeah. Um, mm -hmm. and, and I oftentimes yeah. say, Lord, thank you for allowing me for to sure. serve somebody. Thank you for the opportunity yeah. to serve somebody. Mm -hmm. Um, and you know, I, I think I was a pretty selfish person in you know a lot of part yeah. of my life, and so it's uh, it's freeing mm -hmm. to be able to help others yeah. and serve others and and give to others. Cool. Yeah, you think of it in the long run. You know, we're born in this world with such a self focus, and God's plan is to turn that focus on Him and others. Yeah, mm -hmm. yeah, that's very true, Jeff. Yeah, and I think that good. is that new creation, mm -hmm. right? So when you decide, hey, it's time for me to try a different way because my way is not working. Yeah, uh, I want to follow Jesus yeah. and His way. Yeah, um, it, it's it's life transforming, it, and it's not a cakewalk by any means. No. But every challenge that He placed in front of me, He usually used it to make me into some new creation that I could do more for Him. Mm -hmm. And uh, and for a long time, I didn't realize it. And uh, you know, I just went through a, a season of pruning, mm -hmm. and uh, you know, I, I found some truth in this, and and hopefully it sticks, right? And yeah. you don't revert back. But you know, human nature is, we, we end up. Uh, there, there's a lot more signals mm -hmm. from the world because the yeah. world is under the rule of Satan um, than there are from God. Mm -hmm. And so you know, it, it's it's for us that have faith to be light yeah. and mm -hmm. to shine light on darkness and figure out how to get the entire world you know, transposed mm -hmm. to what we're looking and, for. And to yeah, cultivate that faith, which yeah. means to a regular input of the word and fellowship. Yeah, absolutely. And absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. Well, and, and to surround yourself, you know, so who, who was yeah. it that said, you're the average of the five people you hang out yeah. with, right? <laughs> yeah, well, I've never heard of I've that. Heard that. Yeah. Yeah. And so, who are you surrounding yourself yeah. with? You will be the average of those five. Oh. And so, mm -hmm. if you believe, you know, whatever you want and whatever you're focused yeah. on, surround yourself with people that will hold you accountable yeah. um, and, you know, For sure. uh, raise you to the level that you want to mm -hmm. be raised to. And there are seasons where I kind of, I've gone in and out, right? So, I've had 
strong faith groups that I've spent a lot of time with, and then there are seasons where I need to go internal again. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's okay, right? Uh, as long as you're staying in faith, yeah. right? But God moves you through these seasons. There's seasons of planting, seasons of pruning, seasons of yeah. wow. uh, harvest. Uh, you know, there, it, it, it's, an, it, it's constant. Mm-hmm. And you're constantly being evolved into who he wants you to be yeah. and how he wants to leverage you. And the beauty of it all is it's a yeah, journey. Yeah. And as long as you believe in God, yeah. you can trust that what he's doing is for good. Yeah. And uh, then you don't have to have the fear the, mm-hmm. of what's going on. It's like, I know you've got me covered. Um, and he does. Yeah. I mean, there's never been a moment where God hasn't come mm-hmm. through as I reflect on yeah. my history. He just has. For sure. And that's just where my faith is. And people can argue till they, uh, to, you know, as, as much as they want that there is no God and it's all mm-hmm. random and things like that. It's like, that doesn't work for me. No. This mm-hmm. works for me, yeah. and I'm okay with it. Mm-hmm. I'm okay with it. Well, I think that's pretty pretty good wisdom. So yeah, good job. So thank you. I yeah. yeah. appreciate that. Yeah. Thanks for taking the time. Yeah, no, thank you. Yeah. Um, any more questions that you have? Uh, you know, I think I think you did a great a job. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I guess uh, last question I have, you were on the leadership team. What, how did, uh, how did, like, you mentioned a oh, few from times. Oh, Yeah, for, you okay. mentioned, I'm trying to answer this question. You mentioned a few times, God has put you in places that has stretched you. Yeah, so. so put you on the, I just so, want to get back to that yeah, story. Yeah, so career path-wise, yeah. I kind of jumped all yeah. over the place here, didn't I? Yeah. So uh, I'm at Motive yeah. Action. Yeah. I'm on the executive team. Mm-hmm. I'm learning as much yeah. as I can, but I'm not a political player. Okay. And, uh, you know, things mm-hmm. happen that are pol- political that I'm, ill aware of as a leader because I'm an individual contributor on a leadership team. Um, So I end up having to leave Motive Action. I mean, they took care of me very well and things like that, but I was like, the message I got from them was, you're a consultant, you're not a Uh, a leader. And I was like, oh, you know, so this is the world kind of telling you, giving you signals all the time that are contrary to what God has in store for you. Um, you know, so I thought, oh, geez, I, I guess I'm not a leader. And so I went back into consulting mm-hmm. uh, for a month. Uh-huh. And, um, and then I got a call from a friend and, and God took me out of there and put me at PDI, Personal Decisions International, mm. which was an HR um, consulting firm that did leadership assessment and development. Mm. Oh, wow. And they assessed me. Okay. And I had all the traits of leadership. Did you? And it's like... So I think when you're a faith and when you have the ability to influence, okay. I think Satan does all he can to get you out of that mode. That's, that's really good. Yeah, that's get really, you to believe yeah, the wrong thing. And mm-hmm. so, I mean, I mean, I walked out of mode of action thinking I'm not a leader. Yeah. Mm-hmm. When really God wanted when me to be a leader and wanted me yeah. to influence as many people as I could yeah. and kept giving me platforms to do so. Okay. So then I was at PDI for three years. Oh. Uh, went over to Hallmark Business Connections, which was a subsidiary of Hallmark Cards. Spent six years there, um, you know, uh, helping helping that okay. organization, and then ended up at Sun Country, uh, leading that organization okay. for just shy of two years, where we, you know, helped get them ready for sale. But um, the biggest gift I had was the ability to talk to a large audience yeah. of two thousand employees. Mm. Uh, with light, yeah, right, which is something they didn't have, and you know, hopefully, some of them um, found value in those yeah. contributions along that journey from a cultural perspective and things mm-hmm. like that. Um, 
you know, which is which is what I do, which mm -hmm. is what I love to do. I love to coach. I love to mentor. I love to get people to work together instead yeah. of being against each other. And it's amazing how many organizations yeah. <coughs> focus on all the strategy stuff but forget the culture side, mm -hmm. right? And they've created all these silos in their organization. And even in a small company like the one I'm with, mm -hmm. when I walked in here, there were silos. There was animosity between groups and finger pointing and... And all of those things, you know, they, they don't help the cause, yeah. right? But if you can all get aligned towards a common goal and mm -hmm. you can learn to treat each other with respect, doesn't mean you have to agree with each other, but you can respect each other, right? Mm -hmm. And you never attack the person, you attack the idea, yeah, right? And so the debates are always about ideas. They're not debates about personal character. Mm. Right? Yeah. That's a big shift in thinking. And so to me, it's like, um, you know, I don't know what the rest of the journey is, yeah. but right now it feels like this is where I'm supposed to be. Yeah. This is what I'm supposed to help with, and I, and I enjoy it. Treasure. Awesome. So that you're help? saying too that yeah. a, leader, a leader can shape the culture, then and it brings it a total different. That is direction. the primary role of a leader. Mm. That's good. Is to get the team aligned towards a common goal. Mm -hmm. I mean, that's yeah. what leaders do. So you start with your own mind, thinking positive yeah. thoughts, and then you transfer yeah. that to other people. Mm -hmm. Well, you, you you listen to the people, mm -hmm. right? Because from a strategy perspective, the strategy already exists typically within the organization. Mm -hmm. All you have to do is pull it out and listen to the individual contributors that are closest to the customer. They'll tell you exactly what needs to be done. Oh, and then, yeah, and then you have the platform to help influence. Now, you absolutely have to use wisdom and uh, you know think through this um, as you're going through it because a lot of people are very self-indulgent right they're mm -hmm. they're they're selfish in their what they're sharing they're trying to make their world perfect uh, so yeah. when you get different perspectives from multiple groups you can assimilate all of that okay that's how you create the vision that's how you can create the strategy but to me it all starts with culture okay. it's number one uh, culture then strategy so it's people uh, first cool. people first because a company doesn't exist without its people. Mm -hmm. yeah, whether sure. you're making parts, whether you're providing service, whatever it is, it's the ideas yeah, of same. people and the efforts of people that mm -hmm. move the needle in a company. It is not the company by itself. The company's just a shell. It's, good. it's a way for a tribe to come together mm -hmm. to do something, right? Because what do people want? People want to believe in something and they want to belong to something. Mm -hmm. That's mm -hmm. our primary driver yeah. as humans. And so can you provide them something really good to believe in, that they're impacting the world, and a group that they can belong and trust is going to be there to catch them, right, and take yeah. care of them. A larger yeah. purpose. It's a tribe, yeah. right? Which is why people are constantly looking for the answer, right? Mm. They're always joining uh, groups, joining this, that, and the other thing, because they're looking to belong. So they're looking to believe in something. That's so, uh, God, yeah. that's God yeah. put that in us. So okay. it can either be done for ill, or it can be done for good. Yeah. yeah. And then that way, then you don't have the employee turnover if they're involved in a great oh, group. Fantastic, because yeah. they, they know that they can rely on their on each other. And so mm -hmm. at the core of leadership is caring about people, mm -hmm. right? And mm -hmm. yeah, most people don't say it, but it's love. Mm -hmm. Love your team, Yeah. right? You love your team, you take care of them, they'll take care of you. And, uh, and even if they don't, you still love them. Oh, yeah. <laughs> That's good. That's good. That's good. Well, thank you, Zerur. Well, thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you.